Welcome to season four of the podcast, A Voice for the Hurting. This season is dedicated entirely to the divorced Christian. If this is you, then keep listening to hear more of my own story and the stories of others as we give you hope and comfort for healing, true healing, which is found only at the foot of the cross. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce Diana Winkler. She's a singer, songwriter, speaker, and abuse advocate. She's going to talk to us today about how God worked through her life and through her divorce. Hello, Diana. Hey, Lori. Thanks for having me on the show today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to have you. So tell me a little bit about what brought you to where you are now. Well, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version uh, because it's 13 years of my life. and, And then you can ask questions about what you want clarified or more detail so yeah I will start at when I met my now ex um, one of the darkest times of my life was during my 13-year marriage to my now ex-husband and we met at a church actually um, we were both part of the singles group at church and I sang a solo yeah. Um, a musician. And he asked me out on a date after he heard me sing at church. And, you know, there were some definitely red flags and warning signs when we dated, but I kind of brushed them off as they were normal. You know, 20 years old, you don't know any different because you've never really been through it before. Right. And we got married during Bible college, my senior year. And he came from a really good family. So it was a big shock when the marriage became abusive almost immediately after the wedding. Now, we were in full-time ministry after college. So what we were doing was planting churches across the country. And that was stateside here. Um, but you know, Danny, that that isn't his real name, by the way. <laughs> right. Was a different person in church than he was at home. It was like living with, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yes. Uh, and you don't know what's gonna happen from one day to the next. Now, at the time I didn't know what a narcissist was, I didn't know what gaslighting was. I didn't even realize that I was being abused. You know, at home, he was verbally abusive, disrespectful, very controlling. I was very manipulative, um, proud, I would say. And and he had a lot of anger issues. Yeah. And he would have these mood swings every day, sometimes humiliating me in public. But, you know, I I never knew what was going to set off his rage. It was usually over stupid, petty things. And, you know, like uh, you didn't put gas in the car or the water wasn't filled up in the refrigerator or, you know, the house isn't clean enough or you spent too much on Christmas gifts, whatever. Um, He was the one that said that I made him act this way towards me. Yes. And the language he would use towards me would make a sailor blush. And I was told to shut up and submit whenever I would question his bad decisions. That's what the church teaches. So I walked on eggshells to avoid getting him upset. A really dark time in our marriage was we were youth pastors in New Jersey and it was a really bad situation. And he once tried to commit suicide in front of me because wow. he couldn't have another piece of pie. Wow. It wasn't about the pie. No, it was not. <laughs> and um, yeah, I may elaborate on that later, but he would accuse me of having affairs with everyone from the aerobics instructor to the choir director. And I was tracked when I left the house. And we had a lack of emotional and physical intimacy in our relationship. 
Uh, a big problem in our marriage was he would use sex as a weapon against me. Yeah. You hear that a lot from, you know, women using it against men, but it definitely tables were turned in our marriage. Yeah. I was kept in the dark about our family finances and we were on the verge of bankruptcy at one point. Wow. Now I've been uh, a musician, a, a singer for as long as I could remember kindergarten. And that's how we met was through music, but he was never supportive of my music either, which was really weird. Yeah. And I was good at putting on a Christian face in public because we were in church ministry. We were supposed to put on that big face that everything was okay. But inside it was like miserable. Yeah. And you know, for seven years, I was that dutiful wife, you know, trying to make lemon out of lemonades. And I thought, oh, things have got to get better, right? It can't get any worse, but things did get worse and worse. And I think the only people that knew what I was going through were like three of my close friends and many of my, many of the people around me that hear my story, they're like, well, why didn't you leave him sooner? Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you why. It was because my legalistic church denomination that I came from yeah. would not allow divorce for any reason. Any reason. Divorced people are treated like outcasts and not allowed to fully serve in the church. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I would drag my husband to three different counselors in order to get some help. And you know what the pastors would tell me? What? If I would only submit to my husband, it's... then I wouldn't have any marriage problems. <sighs> yeah, any counselor that had any real solutions, Danny would, you know, fold his arms and not participate in the sessions. And I don't want to be preached to. I don't want you telling me Bible verses or telling me what a sinner I am. So at that point, I'm like, I really felt trapped and alone and bitter. And, you know, as a Christian, I want to take my marriage vows seriously. Right. But like year number eight of 13, I was like, I'd pretty much started to give up. Yeah. We were, you know, we were roommates. We weren't marriage partners. Right. And so I was like resentful and bitter with, with him and the church and, and God. You know, I stopped praying because I didn't think God was listening to me. Yeah. I stopped doing my Bible reading. Um, you know, I continue to serve in the church because that's what I was expected to do. I didn't want anybody to know what right. was going on. But, you know, I was dying inside more and more each day. And I actually sank into a depression because I didn't feel like anybody was going to help me out of this prison I was in. Yeah. But, yeah. and that's what it was. You were stuck yeah. in prison. Yeah. Now our 13th anniversary came and yeah, I'm skipping a ton of stuff, but the 13th anniversary was the turning point. It was a disaster. I mean, we got into a fight because we were attempting sex on our anniversary and we accidentally collided heads, literally, instead of zigging we zagged. And, um, that on top of everything else we were going through in the marriage, um, we, you know, we were both angry and in pain and, and uh, we just went, you know, forget it, went to our corners to lick our wounds and I went to bed and cried myself to sleep like I very frequently did. And the next day I woke up so depressed and I thought, I can't live another year like this. Um, one of my friends, one of my best friends, I called her on the phone and and told her what had happened. And she's like, I'm tired of you calling me and tell me about your abusive husband. And she said something to me I will never forget that I had to get out of that house and that God isn't going to stop loving me mm -hmm. no matter what happens, right. even if I leave my abusive husband. Yes. You know, I was making excuses, but I can't leave. The church isn't going to let me, and I'll lose everything. And, but I realized that she was right. 
uh, it was like a wake up call for me. So that day I just cried out to God and I said, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to take whatever consequences that would come as a result of leaving because I knew they were going to come. Right. But I had to get out before, you know, it destroyed me. And I, I knew that he wouldn't let me leave. I had three of my friends that helped me secretly escape when my husband went out of town for two weeks. They helped me pack and, and load the truck. And um, I was so terrified that he would find out I didn't sleep for months. Yeah. Now, I lost my job <laughs> two weeks before departure. I, I almost lost hope of getting out, but then my my one friend Julie said that I could come and live with her, her and her family until I got on my feet because she said, if you don't leave now, you're not going to get another chance for a really long time. Right. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do it. So I left everything behind, including my two dogs. Um, I did not have children with this man uh, for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that's a when, blessing disguise if you had wanted them <laughs> yeah um anyhow uh when when he found out that i had left all of a sudden he wanted counseling <laughs> uh i was against it um but i went to one counseling session with him at the favor of our pastor at the time yeah um i was just you know doing it as a favor for him and of course, when I went into the pastor's office, he was there and he was, you know, doing the crocodile tears and he apologized and, and he said he was sorry. And uh, so we sat down to talk about the issues in our marriage. And it was it was the same song and dance as with the other counselors. Well, you made me do this and you fill in the blank and you made me do this. And I'm like, you know, pastor. Um, no, I'm not doing this. Um, I don't have anything against you, Danny. I forgive you for what you did to me. Um, I don't wish you any ill, but I want out. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm going through with this divorce, unless there's a parting of the Red Sea miracle here. Um, it's over. So that was the day I, I started the journey um towards my new life. And I'm not going to say it was easy. It was probably the hardest thing I ever did in my life because yeah. everything I thought was going to happen definitely did happen. Yeah. I lost my church. I, my friends chose sides. You know, I went through bankruptcy and unemployment for eight months. And um, don't get me started on the dating apps. That was a big mistake. Everybody right. looked like my ex-husband. Oh, no. Uh, but, you know, I I had a promise from God for my life. And I had to go and find a new church that accepted me as, as I was. And uh, I did find one and I, I actually started praying and reading my Bible again. So um, that's, that's the story up to that point. So um, I know I said a lot and you probably have questions. So do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually yours mirrors my story a lot. Wow. Um, it, it does. Yeah. Uh, but the, my first question, I guess, because you did talk about abuse and the manipulation and all of those things. Uh, do you mind giving us a general idea of what types of abuse? Because uh, I think when people think of abuse, they always think physical and they don't oh, yeah. always realize that there's other types. Right. That's a very good question because that's what the church says. If he didn't hit you, then it's not abuse. If you don't have black and blue marks and broken bones, then it's not abuse. You just, you know, you're probably doing something to, to deserve it anyway. Right. And so that that's probably why I stayed is because I didn't, I didn't know I was being abused because there's, there's emotional abuse. That's, you know, the swearing at you and, and calling you stupid and you'll never amount to anything. And, um, you know, all the horrible things that somebody would say to you, you have, of course, sexual abuse. Um, there is such a thing as marital rape when you don't have any um, 
agency over your body, whether to say yes or no. Right. Um, churches teach you that, well, you can't ever say no to your husband. Your your husband owns your body and you have to give him sex whenever he wants it. Uh, that that isn't that isn't true. That's that is abuse. You still have a right to say yes or no That's for right. there are a variety of reasons, but either party should be able to say, you know, I'm just not feeling well today or I don't, you know, whatever, but we do have a choice. Jesus never forced himself on anybody. Like love Christ is love, um, love your wife as Christ loved the church. So if Jesus gave people a choice whether to believe in him, uh, we have we have choices as a wife in a marriage. Yes. Your your husband's supposed to be leading you in a um in a loving fashion, setting the example and you know considering the other person's needs. And I don't know if you have any male listeners, but like I said, in my particular case, it was neglect. My my husband had intimacy issues. He did not want to have sex. It was him telling me I'm, you know, I'm a nymphomaniac because I want an actual sex life. <laughs> we waited. We didn't have sex before we were married. And this is what we do when we're married. You know, the honeymoon. It's like right. it started during the honeymoon. And the first year of our marriage, it, he would avoid intimacy. And he would say, well, you didn't submit, Diana, today. So you don't get any. Uh, that's... <laughs> That's abuse on either side. If you're yes. using excuses while you're not being intimate with your wife, now or or your husband, now, and and I did explore things like I asked some of my male friends, uh, "Is there anything wrong with me? Why doesn't my husband want to be with me?" And you know, uh, they said very bluntly. He said, there's nothing wrong with you. There's maybe he's gay. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I actually confronted him on that. I'm like, um, are you not intimate with me? Is there something you need to tell me? Are you, are you gay? And, and of course he, he, he denied it. And even if he was, uh, he would never admit it because his family would re reject him. So anyway, um, that's one kind of abuse is in the sexual realm. You're also in the sexual realm. Pornography is sexual abuse. Being yes. exposed to pornography, your spouse being addicted to pornography. Um, that is spirit that is that is adultery. You're yeah. lusting after somebody in your heart. Um, that's what you're doing in pornography. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not saying that people can't get help for that if they uh, are willing to work on those things or um, but that's a big, that's a big deal right now in our society. Is. Um, and many people a, write it off as not being an issue, but it absolutely is. And oof. it's a huge sin area that can, you know, get in the way of your relationships with God and with your spouse. And it yeah. is, it is a huge problem. I'm, I'm thankful neither of my spouses mm -hmm. um, have had that issue that I'm aware of. Um, another part of abuse is um, financial abuse. My ex would control my finances. He'd be giving me an allowance. Um, any kind of birthday money I would get, he would take it away from me and saying he's he's holding it for me. And he would do that in front of my family. Yeah. Uh, he would tell me, okay, here's how much you have to spend for Christmas gifts. Or he would um, tell me what kind of job I could have. Yeah. Or he would be calling my job when I'm working and getting into fights with me and then getting me in trouble with my boss. Those right. are kind of, if your, your spouse is saying, well, you can't have a job outside the home or have a business on the side or whatever, cutting you off from financial resources, that's, that is financial abuse. Yes. Um, taking your money, going out and gambling with it. Or, um, you know, buying, buying a credit card debt is a huge thing. I know that the women get, um, get in uh, trouble for that. Usually they're stereotyped as being the shoppers, but I'll, I'll tell you what, my, my current husband now is a, uh, 
he loves to buy things and he's the spender <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's the spender and i'm a saver and 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 um we've had conversations about well we we can't afford that <laughs> yeah but yeah. uh if your your spouse is doing that those are those are uh examples of financial abuse cutting off your resources um taking all the money um cutting you off from bank accounts um the other one that's really important is isolation Yes. Um, my sister lives in France and, um, I've always been a, a Francophile. I, I speak the language. Um, I learned the language in grade school and I wanted to visit France when she moved there in 99 and my sister and my husband did not get along. Yeah. And, uh, I wanted to go and visit my sister and he would not let me because, one, he thought that I was going to move there and never come back. Right. And two, he didn't like the French government and he did not want me going over there and spending American money over in France, which is ridiculous. But yeah, <laughs> uh, but it's isolation from your family, isolation from your friends. You know, you can't hang out with this person. You can't go to church. You can't go to um you can't uh, hang out with these people. You can't be around your family because I don't like them or um, for whatever reason, they're isolating you. So, so they can control you. Right. And the, the common denominator of abuse is control, taking your choices away. That is super important. If you don't remember anything about today, remember that abuse is control. It's, we call uh, it the control wheel it has all these examples that i'm talking about and um i suffered a lot of spiritual abuse when it's spiritual abuse it's using the bible or god or um any kind of spiritual stuff maybe you're a listener and you're not a christian but you have another religion using anything uh about god or scripture to control you uh, that means giving money to your house of worship, telling you, God told me to tell you this, um, misinterpreting scripture to fit their agenda. That's spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. um, you know, telling you, you have to read this Bible version, telling you, you have to wear these kind of clothes and, um, you know, you're not spiritual unless you come to church four times a week and do everything we say. That's some example of spiritual abuse. So um, I know that's a very uh, Reader's Digest version of that, but look up the look up the power wheel, the control wheel on the Google and and you'll get lots of examples there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought all that up. And I think I think some people might be surprised to hear all of those things within spiritual abuse, because a lot of those are so prevalent in the church as a whole. And it depends on what part of the church you've been in as to what is expected of you on a regular basis. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and some of those things are very normalized within the church. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm glad you talked about that. Uh, I wanted to ask also, you said at the beginning of your relationship, there were red flags you should have seen. Can you share some of what that looked like for your situation? Yeah, I was um, 20, 20 years old and, and young and stupid, like everybody is at that age. And I wasn't raised in a, an abusive home. No, my, 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 uh, my family isn't perfect. And, um, but they're, they loved me and, you know, we had good relationship. Uh, so I didn't really have any knowledge about well, what does an abusive home look like. But when we were dating, uh, there were some red flags and I, I dismissed him because he comes from an Italian family. And, you know, Italians have a certain mannerism. You know, if you've ever seen my big fat Greek wedding, that yeah. is exactly what my in-laws were like. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so my ex was, um, was very controlling from the beginning and he was kind of a baby Christian. He uh, was 
a little immature in the faith, which that was part of the problem, but he would get into these mood swings and we'd get into these fights. And um, my mother and my sister would see these. They, they could see it from the outside. Like we would have dinner with my mom and we're sitting down and, you know, Danny does the whole uh, tapping the glass with his fork saying that he wanted more, something more to drink and handed me his plate. And my mother like piped up and said, He's, his legs aren't broken. He can go and get his own <laughs> drink and get his own uh, seconds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the church teaches you that, oh, you got to serve your man and, and uh, you know, do the traditional housewife thing. But we were still dating. And I think when we, I was down in Bible college already and he decided he was going to go to the same Bible college as me because he knew that I wanted to marry a preacher and I didn't want to marry somebody that wasn't going into the ministry as either a pastor or a missionary and so I I don't I don't want to be a mind reader or say what what I I can't prove but I think that he went to Bible college just to pacify me because he wanted he wanted to be with me right so him and his mom moved him down to school, which was three hours away. And on the way, the truck broke down and I'm on the phone with him. This was before cell phones and all that. I'm on the phone with him. He's at a pain phone and he's he's just swearing and cursing and and he's yelling at his mother because um, his his mother was talking to him behind him and he's like yelling at her and putting her in her place and I said you know uh Danny that's not the way to speak to your mother like that and oh you're you got terrible timing to preach to me Diana you know you shouldn't be doing that and I'm like you know I'm just gonna hang up now and (laughs) he um he did all other kind of stunts when he didn't like what I said or he wouldn't get his way he would get in the car and he would drive around the block he did this when I was at his parents' house. Um, we were sitting just chatting in the living room. His parents were in the other, in the kitchen or something. And I told him something really, really personal about myself. And um, and he started like, oh, well, only prostitutes do that. Only sluts do that. And that's gross. And and you, I thought you said you were a Christian. And, and I'm like... I just shared something really personal about myself and you're attacking me. He gets yeah. in his car and he's like drives around the block and his mom comes in in the living room. Where's, where is he? Oh, he took off. I don't know where he went. I came back. I don't know, maybe an hour later. And, um, I went to bed. Um, I stayed in the guest room when I went to visit there and, um, the next day was my birthday, and I didn't know that he had um, bought an engagement ring. Wow. And we went to a French restaurant for my birthday, and I was still mad at him for what happened the night before. Yeah. Uh, just him and his temper. And so he showed, he he has dinner with me, and then we go out to this garden, this restaurant had this beautiful garden, and we walked out there, and he shows me the ring, and he asked me to marry him and I was so foolish because I forgot everything that happened up to that point yeah uh and I accepted the marriage proposal (laughs) and uh, you know there's lots of stories that I could tell but um for the basis of time it was like being engaged did not stop all of uh, the Mm -hmm. controlling abuse from from happening it was uh I'll share one more really disturbing story that happened to me was you know when you're getting married then you got to figure out okay what are you going to do for birth control and we already decided we weren't going to have kids right away and so I went to the doctor and you know I was going to go on the pill and uh you know the doctor said oh here's 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 your prescription and you just need one cycle for it to work for you'll you'll have it in time for the wedding okay great and so I went home and I told him that I'm, I'm ready to go. And then 
he says to me that his mom told him that, well, the, the pill isn't going to work in time. And then you're going to get your, your wife pregnant the first week you're married. Yes. And, and he wouldn't use condoms. He already told me he wouldn't use condoms. And then, so then he's telling me he's not going to have sex with me on my wedding night because he doesn't want to use condoms. Right. And he thinks I'm going to get pregnant right away. And I'm like, it's um where did you get this information he goes my mom told me and I'm like okay did she get this information from a doctor right no. <laughs> yeah uh, so I was on the horn with her and I said excuse me but I I really resent the fact that you gave him yeah. incorrect information it's not medically correct information and you know now my husband doesn't want to have sex with me yeah you know how dare you so yeah uh, yeah, I've got plenty of mother-in-law stories, but you have to listen to my long version on my podcast to get all those. But uh, so anyway, there were a lot of red flags and I just kind of, I brushed them aside because um, the other thing was my mother and father-in-law were paying for the wedding and it was like 15 grand they paid for this wedding because now on my side of the family, we did the the beef and beer wedding with the finger sandwiches and the, you know, either at the church basement or in the, uh, the fire hall. That's yeah, what we did. Yeah, and we had a good time, but that wasn't good enough for my mother-in-law. So right. she offered to pay for her son's wedding and she had control of the guest list. And oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was that was a big that was a big problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So do you think it's yeah. fair a lot of times? I know this is not probably across the board, but uh, what you see in the relationship of your potential spouse is at least somewhat reflective of what you'll see from them, correct? Like, do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I know that a lot of people are putting their their best foot forward yes. in the beginning of the dating relationship. They're trying to you know, it's, it's a love bombing stage. Okay. You're, you know, the whole flowers and you're beautiful and I can't wait to be with you the rest of my life. And all, we all know about that. you got things in common, but, um, I would suggest, even though I know some of you aren't going to listen to me, <laughs> don't get married right away. Get to know the person really well, like at least a year, because it's really hard to pretend yeah for a year and, and things will start showing up and um you know help somebody move with the person you're dating um go pick somebody up at the airport go camping with the boy scouts you know put your your date into situations where okay i'm gonna test to see how you react in situations your mother's driving you nuts how do you treat your mother yeah how do you treat your sister uh, and you have to pay attention to these signals. Um, and here's the other thing. Now, most of the Christians I know were, were taught to wait to have sex before marriage. Some people still have sex before marriage. And I understand that. Mm -hmm. But when you're physically involved with somebody, your ability to think objectively about your date or your fiance is out the window. It is, I agree. Because the hormones are, and I understand because I've been through it, the hormones are going and, you know, those happy, happy feelings are going through your system and you don't see those red flags. Now him and I didn't sleep together beforehand, but uh, I still didn't see the red flags because I was, I had the blinders on because I was listening to what the church told me was supposed to be. Mm -hmm what society expected of me instead of, okay, well, we've got this $15,000 wedding. And even though I have doubts, I'm not going to cancel this wedding because, you know, Princess Diana said, my name's already on the tea towels. Right. <laughs> it's too late to cancel this wedding now because, you know, they've already, um, they've already made the cake and all that stuff. So don't, don't be afraid to, if you have doubts, to cancel that wedding yes to, to break off that relationship that's right um because you're going to regret it later if you, you don't listen to the spidey sense <laughs> <laughs> the spidey sense that 
horrible feeling in your stomach that something isn't right here. This, his attitudes that he has about certain things, I don't think I like that. Yeah. The way he treats you one day, if he treats you bad on a dating relationship, it's not going to get any better when you're married. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, so a curiosity question. Um, I'm assuming that it got worse and worse in your relationship as time went on. Is that a correct assumption? <laughs> yeah. 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 How long did it take for it to get to the worst point of it? Well, it's like being, you know, boiled alive in a pot, you know, the proverbial frog in the, you know, continual drip. And it wasn't one thing. It was a, a bunch of stuff um, over a 13 year period. And being missionaries and stuff, it's, you got to put on this happy face and pretend like everything is fine and you're super spiritual Christian. Uh, you can't show that you're suffering. And um, I mean, when it did get bad, it was like, you know, dragging him to the counselors and not mm -hmm. getting any, I knew it was bad when, you know, the counselors weren't going to help me. And I knew it was bad when uh, he tried to commit suicide. Yeah. Because I wasn't trained in mental health. None of us were in those days. This was back in the 90s. We weren't trained in mental health issues. Like now you can get that stuff. But I'll I'll tell you the story about the about the attempted suicide. We were, as I said, we were in New Jersey and we were um, helping out at this young church and we were helping with the youth group and they were very very legalistic it was so legalistic they would control what you wore and tv not even what tv shows they said that you shouldn't have a tv at all they would ask you to give your entire paycheck to the church wow uh, they you know they didn't think that women should work outside the home or women didn't wear pants or makeup or it was a very legalistic controlling church. And he was, he was working outside the home because, um, you know, outside the church because they don't pay you, pay you peanuts. So we were both working. I was working at um, FedEx at the time and he was working, um, fixing electronics back in the day when you would, fix a VCR instead of going and buying a new one because it was right. cheaper to fix it. And it was, he wasn't making enough money to, to pay the bills. And um, this was the kind of church that when you, when you didn't come to church that day, they would come to your door mm -hmm. and see what, why you didn't come to church. And they would look in our windows. Wow. <laughs> they would bang on the door and they would see if they were home looking in our windows and you know, we weren't feeling well or whatever, and and you weren't allowed to miss church. Right. So we had no privacy, no privacy at all. And we went to the doctor because um, he had some health issues, and the doctor put him on a diet and said, "You um, you need to stick with this diet, and you need to lose some weight." And we went home, and I cooked dinner, and then I had made. I made two pies. One was apple and the other one I think was chocolate. And he ate the apple pie and then he said he wanted a second piece of pie. And I said, no, you shouldn't have even had the first piece of pie. And, you know, a normal person would have just said, you know, up yours, I'm going to go get myself a second piece of pie, right? That's what normal yeah. people do. Instead of that, and he said, I'm going to go upstairs and blow my brains out because I have nothing to live for. Wow. I mean, and, and we had, we had guns in the house. Yeah. He, he's always, he's always had guns and he went upstairs <laughs> like standing at the bottom of the stairs, like what just happened. Right. And it wasn't about the pie, you know, this, right. No, it's not about yeah, the pie. It was all this conglomerate of junk. And he, he was up there and I was, and this all happened in 30 seconds. I was standing at the bottom waiting to see if, if I was going to go up there after him. And they trained us if, 
anybody has a suicide attempt or threatened suicide, you should always take it serious. Right. And I thought, well, what if he turns the gun on me? Right. What if, what if I don't go upstairs? Maybe he's bluffing because he did a lot of bluffing. Right. What if he pulls the trigger and that would take care of some of my problems? Right. And that's a horrible thing to say, but that went through my brain. I'm just it, being. It's honest. Yeah. Transparent and honest here, but that went through my head. And maybe I'll yeah. just let the cards fall where they may. Um, and the Lord told me, you know, that's no, you need to go upstairs. And so I went up the stairs and went down. We had a really long hallway and came into the bedroom. And sure enough, he was staying there with a gun to his head. And I'm very, very scared at this point. He'd never done this before. And I'm like, hey, hey, what's going on? Let's talk about this. And so he listed all the things that, you know, I don't have nothing to live for. And and I said, I'm not saying that we don't have marriage problems. I'm not saying we don't have legitimate reasons um, here, but putting a gun to your head and killing yourself isn't the answer. Let's, we can work on this together. Right. Uh, he said, well, you know, you'd be, you'd be glad if I was gone. I said, no, I, I wouldn't be glad if you were gone. I love you. And your family loves you. They would be mortified that you were gone. He had a huge family. Yeah. And I don't know what else I said to him. I was just, I was just praying to God because all I could imagine was blood splattered all over the walls and what the aftermath would be if he pulled that trigger. And I didn't know if he was going to do it. It took me an hour to talk him down. I don't know what I said to make him put it down, but um, he put it down. We went downstairs and I was just freaked out and he didn't think it was that big of a deal. Ugh. I called the pastor, our sending pastor, not the one that we were with in New Jersey, told him what happened. And he said, you guys need to step down from the ministry. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I don't know if he's going to do that because, um, you know, he's very proud. He I should have called 911. I should have gotten him some mental health services, some counseling, but it never happened. It got pushed under the rug. And um, that was probably the darkest part of our marriage. It was so scary. But I mean, how long did it take to get to leaving? It was, um, yeah, it was that that the night that we collided, the whole, um, a lot of events that I have left out, but but it was I was so depressed I had gone through depression and I never had been through that before and I had always judged everybody else that had depression oh well you know just snap out of it just pray more and read your bible more and then you you wouldn't be depressed anymore and it's easy to say that if you haven't experienced I have never experienced it before and it's like this dark cloud and you're in a pit and you can't get out and no amount of praying or Bible reading gets you out of that. You have to have help from the outside. Right. And I just, it just snapped when we had that 13th anniversary and we had really horrible anniversaries before that. And I just, it, there comes a breaking point when you've been abused, especially emotional abuse, because uh, physical abuse the scars go away, the bumps go away, the bruises, the black eyes, they go away, but the emotional abuse, you know, you're nothing. Uh, those those things stay with you a very long time. Uh, so, Especially was, when they're said again and again and again. And you, you start, start to believe to those believe. things. Yes, exactly. And emotional abuse and spiritual abuse, financial abuse, sexual abuse, that, that's uh, those are all very damaging. And I kept thinking in my head, well, I can't leave because the church is going to excommunicate me. I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to have to start all over again. Uh, I did have a job, you know, I was working in the dental industry at the time. And so I had job skills and I had been working um, to support the family for a long time. But uh, just having to start over again would was crazy a crazy thought for me i had a nice house i had we had cars we had um 
you know, we were middle class, we had money. And, um, but when it gets to a point where you're so miserable and you can't deal with this anymore and your relationship with God is just really damaged, then you're like, I don't care. I don't care what the church thinks. I don't care what he thinks. I don't care what my family thinks. I don't care what my friends thinks. I am getting out of here. Right. And many people have said said this to me. My sister and my mother have told me that they didn't like him. And uh, my three friends have told me to get out. And I just wasn't ready. I yeah. wasn't ready. And you will talk to people that you know they're going through a really horrible marriage and or they're in an abusive situation and they're not they're not ready because of it's it's all in your your mind right you know the story about the elephant what the elephant in the circus with the with the tiny chain around his ankle and you wonder how can an animal so powerful not just rip that chain you know it will come right off but the elephant has been raised from very, very young that when that chain goes around his ankle, he could not break free for a very long time. But yeah. as he grew, the elephant never tried to get free because he thought, I didn't get free the last time I tried, so I'm not going to get free now. And I am, this is my reality and I'm going to accept it. That and is a perfect analogy. That is the same thing with us. We don't realize yeah. we have power to change, to take that step to leave. Yeah. But it's, you have to decide in your head, I am worth being treated with respect. I am worth love. I'm a child of God. And I don't have to put up with this anymore. Right. And so, yeah, that took 13 years to come to that realization. It was like, I didn't, I couldn't deal with it anymore. I was miserable. And then my, my friend said that, that phrase and knocked me into my senses. Thank God for my three friends. Yeah, They, yeah. they saved me, you know, and I don't know what else, uh, other details that you'd want to know about me leaving, but it was, it was not an easy process. Yeah. Uh, how many years has it been since you went through that? I divorced him in 2008. Okay. And I've been married to my uh, current husband, Brian, for it will be 13 years in March. Wonderful. Is that exciting to be crossing that 13 year threshold? <laughs> well, we talk about it because I divorced when I was right at the 13th year. And I pre joke about it like, if we can just get past the 13th year, then. We're good. Yes. <laughs> Brian's been married twice before, and he's actually came from abusive background as well, where he was abused. And he's never been married this long. I'm wife number three, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he's like, I've never been married this long. So this is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, what advice would you have for someone who feels like they're in an abusive marriage? Well, we, we've talked a lot about that so far, but I would say to, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah. So I'm choosing my words carefully, but like I was saying, you have a relationship with God and that's who you answer to. You don't answer to anybody else. When you pass over to the eternity, you stand before God and you're going to account for your own life. You're not going to account for anybody else's. And you're in charge of your life and you only get one chance. Right. And don't let what somebody else believes influence you. And, and I would, you know, we've talked about the church. The church is very influential for a reason. Uh, but look at what the Bible actually says about marriage and divorce and how did Jesus treat the women in his day? That's right. That is revolutionary, the way that Jesus treated others. The outcasts in society and women were uh, a different plane than men. They didn't have any rights. 
and they weren't allowed to divorce their husbands. That was just the way it was. That was the culture in that day. They could not divorce anybody. But you look at the woman of the the woman at the well, and that was always preached to me like they were focusing on the woman's sin that you know Jesus forgave her sin, but it was way more than that. The Samaritans and the Jews did not talk to each other right. because of their history. The Samaritans, and you can Google history of Samaria. You did not talk to a Samaritan as a Jew, or you'd be considered unclean and you couldn't worship at the temple. You didn't talk to you didn't talk to a woman as a Jewish man that wasn't your your family member. Mm-hmm. Three, you would not talk to a divorced woman or one of the, you know, what they would call a, a prostitute. You wouldn't do those things. Right. And everybody that went through, they traveled, they avoided Samaria. Jesus did not avoid Samaria. He went into Samaria to meet this woman at the well, to get a drink. And she went to the well at the hottest part of the day because she was not allowed to do it with other ladies in the morning. Right. And Jesus reached out to her and ministered to her. And she was a, a valuable child of God. That's to right. Jesus. Amen. And she believed. Oh, look what, look what he's told about myself. And he still accepts me. He still loves me. And he, she went to her own village and told them, Jesus, the Messiah is here. One of the first evangelists was a yes. woman. Yeah. Came yeah, back, that's... brought all these people back to Jesus. That's right. So Jesus could preach to them. I mean, this is how Jesus treats women. You know, the woman with the issue. And so for a church to put women down a peg and say women can be treated uh, like second-class citizens. Uh, They have to submit to their husband or uh, they have to do everything their husband says, regardless of what it is. I've even heard preachers say, if your husband wants you to get uh, an abortion, then Mm. you should go get the abortion and, you know, God's going to punish him. Yeah. No. 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 I would not submit to that. I wouldn't submit right. to having group sex. I wouldn't submit to having, um, you know, gambling my money away and right. any other sinful activity. I just, I would say no. But back to your question, you you first have to see your worth as a child of God. Because mm-hmm. many of the people that I serve in my healing groups and on the podcast and in the advocacy, they they feel it is their fault. Well, I must have done something to deserve this. No, you didn't. You didn't deserve any of that abuse. And you should be re- treated with respect and honor. That's yes. what the scriptures do say. So my first thing is to know how God sees you. And look in the scriptures yourself. Read these stories. How does God view women? They're precious to him. That's right. And they, you know, they should be treated, treated with love and respect. The men should be treating women with respect, loving, loving them as Christ loved the church. So that was a that was a, a long answer there, but make the decision to leave. Mm-hmm. And that is the hardest decision you'll ever make it and it does not come easy and and many of you have children and i understand that dynamic that it's much harder when you have children or you have pets that you'd have to leave behind i had to leave my two pets behind and they raised from puppies i didn't have children uh i wonder what would happen if i did uh, i don't know it might have taken a lot longer, but um, there are a lot yeah, more a- resources now than there were when I was leaving my ex. Yeah. We have lots of resources to help women leave abusive homes. And even the shelter that, that's here in Phoenix, they have a shelter for your pets too. 
they have lots more resources to get you out. Um, three, I would say a lot of abused people they'll go back to. Right. Because they couldn't make it outside the marriage or for a number of reasons, the children want their the other parent or they they can't get a job or they don't have the finances or there's a codependent relationship there where you're bonded to your abuser because it's, again you think you deserve to be treated that way yeah and so when you leave don't go back mm -hmm. don't go back i mean there are many many resources to help you get over that hump of leaving. I had never lived by myself before. I had always, I lived with my parents and then I lived with my college roommate and then I got married. And when I left, um, you know, I stayed with my girlfriend until I got a job in my own apartment. And it was scary sleeping in that apartment by myself. I'd never done that. And you hear all these noises and, right. and um, you don't know if you're going to make the rent and it's, it's scary. And then you got the the dating, which um, is a train wreck. And uh, but you can you can get through with the Lord's help and you may have to leave your church. You may have to go find another church. I have a very healthy one right now, yes. but I had to go through a, a couple of them to find a good, healthy church. They do exist. Uh, yeah. If you if you don't have a healthy church to support you and they believe in well god hates divorce and you know you're not allowed to get divorced unless he's cheating on you or yeah you might have to go and find another church that's going to give you the support that you need for you and if you have kids right uh so those are the those are the first few things i don't know if that's if that's enough or you need more or... <laughs> i think that's good <laughs> Um, it is unfortunately about time for us to wrap this up, but thank you so, so very much for talking to me about your story and sharing it with my audience. And I know that that's going to unfortunately relate to a lot of people out there. Um, and let's, let me ask one more question, actually. Uh, how long after your divorce do you feel like it took you to get to a point of healing? And I know that's going to vary for everyone. Wow, super good question because it depends on the kind of marriage that you had or right. abuse that you've had. Um, whether there's alcohol, you know, or drugs involved, whether there's children involved. Uh, for me, as a person that didn't have any children, and I, I cut off my abuser when we were married. Once the papers were drawn and. Um, I, I cut him off completely, so I, I have no contact with my abuser anymore, but um, there was still a lot of, of a healing process because, because, you know, I went through the neglect and I, I had the stigma of I'm a divorcee and I failed at my marriage. It took a long time for me to get over that hump because, you know, anybody who's divorced, you know, they're second second rate person how That's long did it take me to heal and i made a mistake of jumping into the the dating pool right away which that's a don't do that yeah i, I agree don't do that <laughs> i would not date anybody for a year yeah at least especially if you have kids uh yeah. you need to have time to uh, get over what happened in your marriage and process that before you go jumping into another relationship. Exactly. I made the mistake of jumping into another relationship because uh, because of the hole that was left of being neglected for so long. That's a dangerous place to be. But healing is a journey. It is. And you gotta you gotta change your environment. First, and two, you've got to get some help, some kind of counseling. 
And it doesn't mean that you go to your local pastor to get the counseling. A lot of times they're not trained. Right. I'm not saying anything about about biblical counseling, but they're not trained to handle trauma or uh, abuse. Go to a a trauma-informed counselor. That's what I would suggest to process those things. Find a good, healthy church. I have a podcast that I did with my own pastor, how to spot a healthy church. What are the characteristics that you should look for? Regardless of the denomination or religion that you go to. Um, That helps a lot to be in a community because when you're by yourself, that's something I would avoid. If you're by yourself, then you start you start thinking weird stuff and making bad choices because you're not accountable to anybody. So don't isolate yourself. Be in a community. You might have to find new friends like I did. I had three friends and I had to make new ones. And good thing I, I like people. I like making friends. Uh, but... You know, your kids are another story. I can't really speak into that because I didn't have children. So I'm I'm sure another guest would probably be better qualified to talk on that. But I know with my parents' divorce, my parents mudslinged each other and I would highly I mean keep your keep your uh your fights with your ex spouse private between the two of you and not in front of the kids. That's one thing I would I, I would say, yes, um, I agree. As my parents as went through my parents' divorce, um, but it took me probably right before I met my now husband Brian. I just kind of after a bunch of train wrecks of dating, which I won't get into, but uh, <laughs> I just gave up and I said, God, you're just you know I'm just gonna be single for the rest of my life and. You're going to have to bring somebody into my life if, you know, if you have somebody for me that is a good guy and loves Jesus and isn't going to abuse me. That's actually and, a good place to be, though, mentally. <laughs> if you know, if only we could get there sooner. <laughs> you got to accept the fact that um, don't, don't go rushing to go find somebody else. Be content with okay, I'm going to rebuild my life. I'm going to get to know God, the real Jesus in the Bible. I'm going to help my children heal from this. Uh, Children getting counseling is a great idea. I wish my parents would have done that for me. Uh, But it took me, let's see, I met my husband in 2010. So yeah, it was two years before um, I got remarried. And I was ready at that time. Um, our love story is another another, uh, another podcast. You can probably listen to that on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't, uh, I didn't want to get married right away. And, and Brian didn't want to get married right away either because he had been through two marriages. But I know people in my, my healing groups that they, uh, they take a lot longer to heal. They had been through maybe sexual trauma or drug abuse because now I I didn't take drugs or alcohol to deal with my pain. I did other things, yeah. um, maybe a little healthier, but uh, I didn't have to deal with that. I didn't have to go through alcohol abuse or drug abuse or, um, but everybody's different. Everybody's journey is different. So don't compare your journey with mine right uh i am but at it a is point, a journey i like is. that yeah it is a journey and and you will get triggered even if you've been healed for let's see i've been married to brian for 13 years and there's certain things that trigger me and get me really riled up and i have learned to have tools for that to deal with those emotions yes and what is the truth about this situation? Yeah. You know, what is God trying to tell me? And take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. Take a deep breath. The, de- the devil is going to try and um, derail you yes. from your progress. And take a breath. What's, what is the truth here? 
you got to ignore those lies that the enemy is going to hurl at you. Yes, I'm glad uh, you brought that up. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It's lies. It is lies. Lies. Nobody loves me. God doesn't love me. I'm nobody. You know, I'm never going to get a, a good husband. Mm-hmm. You know, my kids are going to run the streets and, you know, it's a it's a lot to it's a lot to deal with i get it but um that was a long answer to your question (laughs) but i have the um like podcast that um on two years and i talk about healing from abuse yeah and it's for the church and i have guests on the show i have other survivors that tell their story And I am a musician and I use my music also to help people heal. I believe that music is a powerful tool. Yes, it is. A lot of times I'll have my music at the end or um, guest music. They'll have some music that's very soothing and healing. And uh, we mentioned Vending the Soul before we started recording. So what that is is a healing group for men and women. Now they're separate, but it's a a group where you come and you heal from your abuse. You get to tell your story and we go through this curriculum. It's 16 weeks long with uh, myself and a facilitator. And uh, we go through every kind of abuse. We go through what does an abuser look like? What does the Bible really say about abuse? Uh, how does God see me? How can I avoid these kind of situations in the future? There's all kinds of topics that we talk about in the group, and it is confidential, and it's free. Wonderful. And how can they get a hold of you? Yeah. Everything that you need from me, uh, you can find at my website, dswministries.org. And that tells you where the podcast is. I can be listened to on any platform. And it has my uh, information about the Men in the Soul group. And my music is on there for listening and for purchase. And, you know, my email, you can reach out to me if you want to chat or need some help, I will help you in any way I can. If I don't know the answer, I will find it for you. Anyway, uh, yeah, reach out to me, Diana at dswministries.org and we will uh, find you some help. I know that Lori will help you. Yes. Anyway, she can as well. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Diana. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this has been wonderful to talk and to chat today. God bless you and everything you're doing. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Voice for the Hurting. You can follow me on Instagram for more inspiring content at Voice for the Hurting Podcast or check out the website at avoiceforthehurting.com. If you or someone you know is experiencing a divorce or has gone through one and knows that they need to heal, please check out my book on Amazon called Surviving the Shattered Heart, The Christian's Companion for Healing After Divorce. It is available February 28th of 2023.